0: So this evening, as we mentioned, we'll be having um, some relational practice in small groups um, a little later, and also some, a little time for group sharing in the larger group um, before we end the evening. Uh, but for that, Erin and I wanted to just frame a little bit um, to keep contextualizing our practice and, um, and how it's showing up in this retreat in particular. So, as we mentioned at the opening, um, that felt so long ago, it was last night, <laughs> um, You know, this retreat grew out of the uniqueness of our relationships as teachers and as friends, including Dara, and um, our alignment around how we are meeting these teachings and how they're meeting our lives, and how profound these teachings are for supporting the fullness of our lives, and how in the ways they've been transmitted, especially to these Western Dharma communities, um, has been limited, you know. And asking the question of what's been left out, potentially asking why, um, has been really important for us as friends and colleagues. And we saw a little bit of that today with um, the beautiful rhythm that Solwazi brought in. You know, sometimes in this tradition, especially in this insight communities, we can fetishize the silence and forget that these teachings come from these rich traditions that include chanting and rhythm and the body and embodiment and movement. For any of us who practice in Asia, we're probably well aware of that. But we can forget that here and kind of become obsessed with the technology of meditation, as if that's the entirety of what the Buddha was teaching. But he was teaching liberation. Meditation is one aspect of it, and it's... It's a really important aspect of it, because we develop this capacity to be an awareness, to meet this fullness of our lives. But even he himself um, was addressing so many issues of his day. You know, if we imagine, he he awakened, he was liberated, he was done. He could have, like, just checked out, you know? (laughs) But he spent the next 40-plus years ministering, ministering to all kinds of people, And we we don't tend to look at those teachings, you know, these teachings that he gave on um, caste and the ridiculousness of it, on um, his real probing, according to the teachings, of this issue of the equality of women, which he eventually um, included. He was teaching kings, but he was also teaching murderers. He was teaching young people and old people he was trying to solve conflicts between warring factions and communities. He himself was almost assassinated, according to the teachings. So he really responded to his times, and he brought these profound teachings to his times. And as, as friends, that's what we are trying to align with as well. You know, what, are, what is it needing to be responded to in our times? And, and how do we do it with the fullness of this practice? And the uniqueness of this retreat is this opportunity to, to start to explore this, and not maybe in the usual ways we're used to of, you know, thinking so much. I, I had a chance to listen to Aaron's recording that I had to miss this morning. Sorry, you know, she was naming that that conceptual thinking, not that it's bad, but that's not what he's pointing to, um, and. Um, this practice of insight, of cultivating this capacity to respond appropriately, um, it's not the same as deliberating and arguing and um, debating. And again, not that those are bad, but we're really here to, how do we cultivate this practice so that we can build the capacity to meet our lives and the fullness of our our lives and the complexity of our times with this liberated heart? with this freedom, this capacity for freedom. So we're blending in, as you've noticed, this, the individual and the relational, which tends to get left out, with the focus on the technology of meditation as a singular individual practice. But we all live in a relational field. And for many of us, we live in very diverse and complex relational fields. And what does it mean to practice, as in the Satipatthana Sutta, the refrain, over and over again, to have mindfulness internally, mindfulness externally, and mindfulness both internally and externally. So yes, we go inwards and we cultivate this capacity, but we do that so that we can bring that awareness in and out and in and out and in and out, So this retreat is a, a small attempt to start to live that. You know, and that might mean different things for how we're socially located and how we're showing up for this retreat, for this exploration. You know, for some of the white folks, from what I heard last night, and there are probably a complexity of experiences in here, so not to just stereotype, but there may be a newness of practicing in a racially mixed group like this. And there might be thoughts and feelings and anticipations and nervousness or excitement or frustration about exploring this way. There may be shame or guilt or misunderstanding, but all of that is an opportunity to bring this curious, open awareness, this awareness of what's happening internally in relationship to the external. And we continue to cultivate this space and as the retreat progresses, you'll have opportunities to even explore that together in conversation. And for people of color, again, what I resonated with last night, and again, not to stereotype our experiences, but you know, there can be an appreciation for just making the space and time to be here, you know, for resourcing ourselves. You know, the struggle for justice and for self-care can sometimes conflict. And taking care of ourselves and our communities, that can be very all-consuming. So taking time out like this in community, you know, that's a real opportunity to savor this precious opportunity, time, this incredible space. And for all of us to be held by this place, and for all that we're bringing personally and collectively, you know, it's so resonant with this ancient energy, which is all of Earth, really, but, you know, it's so palpable here. You really feel the being held by so much spaciousness and so much Earth, so much sky. Not so much water this season, but <laughs> <laughs> but we can, we can drink our water and feel that element as well. So we just want to keep encouraging you, you know, this first night, this first day we're just starting to really settle to continue to keep cultivating this capacity for, for holding whatever is arising and really respecting your practice really feel it
1: Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Hmm. That's really a treat to get to teach with this crew, and it's a treat to get to. um, There are no dharma police here, so we just get to. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it feels like there's dharma police, and we just get to um, really (laughs) create. (laughs) So appreciating that, appreciating the alignment, and appreciating the freshness because we you know, talk in advance a little bit about what we're going to do, but it's, it's really very much emergent um, from what's happening with all of us together. We don't, we don't decide everything, you know, months in advance. And, um, you know, building on what Sabine shared, some of what we're, we're doing here is shaping up a view, a view of what we consider Dhamma, what we consider practice, And um, views are so important because our views determine a lot about how we live. Our views have a lot to do with determining the people we spend time with, how we spend our resources, um, how we understand ourselves and one another. And the Buddha was really clear that the forerunner of this path of waking up is a view that's grounded in wisdom and grounded in compassion and you know we need some understanding to even come to the path and do the practice and as we do the practice our view becomes more aligned um, with reality with with the truth of how things are with a kind of really deep liberating understanding not in some like transcendent way but but for me like very much of this world i think that's like the measure of awakening is how somebody's actually showing up in their lives not what suttas they can spout out about (laughs) and so how does wise compassionate view come about two ways it comes about through um, the voice of another and wise attention so when I mean, we consider the the voice of another that shapes, you know, how we understand practice, how we understand ourselves, you know, the, the dominant cultural voices uh, are ones of white supremacy, are ones of patriarchy, are ones of late-stage capitalism. You know, so we're coming to the practice trying to... Uh, wake up, and, and, and we can't help but metabolize these views, even if they're not the views we carry. They are the views of the dominant culture that, that impacts us. And, um, you know, views of, of salvation as being apart from the earth. You know, that, that, that waking up somehow is a transcendence of having an earthly body and lives up in the sky somewhere. So a lot of what we're doing here is cultivating a view of... of um, of reality, you know, and um, I just sometimes think how would, how would our lives be if we were conditioned with, with a view of wisdom, you know, if we were, if we were born with, you know, living in a culture where there was a deep sense of belonging, where there was an appreciation for the indwelling consciousness of all, of all life forms, and so um, we're practicing with a, with a, we're growing our capacity for wise and compassionate view. And and we're, we're cultivating wise attention here. Wise attention, yoniso, manisikara are the Pali words. It's really translated as putting your attention in the womb of awareness. And it's really powerful what we're doing because this capacity for attention, and people can live many, many, many years of their lives not realizing that we have this capacity to direct our attention, and that's a very powerful capacity. And when we direct our attention in this, you know mystery of awareness um we open to a deeper intuitive understanding of ourselves and of one another very very powerful so um the voice of this team is a little bit of a different a little different voice i would say a little bit of a of a voice that is is our alignment like seven was saying with practicing in this world and what's called for today and and um you know, wise view is really holistic view as Sabena was saying, holistic view, internal, external, internal and external. One that honors our interconnectedness, not just our individuality, but both our individuality and our interconnectedness. And you now I was reflecting about the, you know, views that we bring to Dharma practice that can often be quite unconscious. Um, I know when I came to Dharma practice, I had this view that, like, Dharma practice was going to shoot me up out of the messiness of my life. And, you know, I was just going to have these calm, ecstatic experiences, and I had no idea that this path would actually ask me to turn so directly toward my suffering. I had no idea. Learned pretty quickly. But... um. But you know part of this, this, this view um, of how we hold the Dharma, if we're practicing from a view of wisdom and compassion and appreciation for the truth, the truth of the web of life, um, we need to look at like the larger, the larger view with which we're practicing. and we wanted to just bring in the presence of the ancestors. and we'll, we'll explore this with you some um, tonight. I'm, I'm aware in my own experience of being a white person how much um, part of how whiteness functions is to disconnect us with our history. And, you know, if we connect with our history as white people, we begin to see that, like, there was a time when we weren't white. You know, that whiteness was a construct that emerged to um, increase the power of the people already in power. And there, there is often a kind of... Um, wound that can be experienced as a sense of isolation, disconnectedness with a kind of spiritual strength or history that can come from knowing our people and where we come from. And I've experienced this in my own life, you know, my family. I remember being quite young and asking about, you know, like, what's our family lineage? And nobody seemed to know. It was as if we magically, the Treat family appeared in North Dakota, you know, a generation ago. That was kind of how it was in my family, and I kept asking. Nobody knew. So you know, like, I keep doing the work of uncovering more and more, of of um, where I come from, and so we also want to honor the the ancestry of this tradition, the ancestry of of this lineage, um, of this lineage, and. The access we have to the wisdom teachings of Theravada, to these teachings that we're practicing on this retreat, is completely due to thousands of years of Asian transmission, of Asian folks keeping the practice alive with great devotion, great care, great sacrifice, great generosity. And, you know, often like these predominantly white practitioners who are practicing and a lot of convert sanghas today, you know. They, there's there's a way that, that that we that we don't acknowledge the history of this lineage. We we forget where it really comes from. We don't acknowledge the labor, the devotion that allows this Buddhist practice to be shared with us today. And so it's really important this conversation at this time to really recognize um, a larger view of of. of um, of the contributions of Asian American Buddhists that allow us to um, these teachings to be available today, and to be sensitive and awake to how racism and white supremacy has really marginalized and made invisible these huge contributions. So, um, in this sense of of a holistic view in this um spirit of exploring identity who we are personally and together we'd like to um, invite you into well first do you have anything to add before we do the exercise no okay to just to invite you into um we'll 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 ask uh, white folks to work with other white folks for this exercise and we'll ask um, folks of color to work with other folks of color for this exercise so we'll, we'll do this exercise in affinity groups and in a few minutes we'd like to have you get together in groups of three and each person will take five minutes to explore uh, who are your people who are your ancestors I'm not saying who are who are the current day sanghas you practice with I'm saying we're saying you know who are your ancestors um, Who are your people and how has this impacted your sense of belonging? Who are your people and how has this impacted your sense of belonging? And for some of you, this may be a very new question and something that feels like, I don't know what to say. And then that becomes the inquiry. We just work with whatever arises with regard um, to this question. And this practice of of inquiry together is just one to, to be willing to give the space for that which has not formed to form, it's to be willing to speak from spontaneity. You don't have to know what you're going to say ahead of time. So really, this practice of speaking from the heart and listening from the heart. The way we'll structure it is, um, each person will have five minutes to talk. We'll, we'll guide it. We'll ring the bells, and then there'll be five minutes for you to just chat among as a group. But as each person talks, there's really like you know, don't give advice. Don't tell folks what you think. Who you think their people are. You just, just you just listen. <laughs> you wouldn't believe what can happen in these exercises sometimes. So, so it's just a practice of really, really um, speaking from your heart, listening from your heart. And there it may end up that there's a a group of four or two groups of four, but we'd like to see if we can have um groups of three. So. As you're ready, why don't you go ahead?
0: Yeah, yeah, please. And you know, just to acknowledge that this is not going to be easy for some people, and they might not have a lot to say, and that's okay too. So if um, this is difficult for any number of reasons, it's not that um, you have to give a treatise on you know your genetic history. so sitting for five minutes and holding, and that's the importance of the listeners, to really be able to hold the space for whatever is arising for, for another. Yeah, a, a kosuka? Uh, this first exercise is, uh, we're separating kosuka. into white and people of color, so we're getting two groups of, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so if you um, self-identify as a person of color, you can go and look for other people of color. Yeah.
1: So go ahead <laughs> and find <laughs> two other folks to work with, and we'll, we'll give some more instructions.
0: Thank you for listening.